0: God is preparing Israel to enter into the promised land. He's giving them moral and civil laws by which they should govern themselves once they go into the land. If I were to pick key verses from Deuteronomy 21, it has to be Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 because it points to the cross of Jesus Christ where it says if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree his body shall not remain overnight on the tree but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance for he who is hanged is accursed of God so we'll look at that when we get to the end of chapter 21 but if I were you, and I have it underlined in my Bible here, the phrase, he who is hanged is a curse of God. And I maybe underlined that, who knows, 20 years ago. But it's there. It's one of the key verses that we'll look at Paul picked up on and quoted from it in the book of Galatians. And so here we have more civil and moral laws that God gave to the children of Israel to govern themselves as they went into the promised land. And it begins in verses 1 through 9 of what to do if there's unresolved murders. And so if they didn't have a good detective that they could turn to, no Columbo for us older folks, that they could go to our Ag- Agatha Christie, that Get those detective novels going. uh, No Sherlock Holmes. And they found someone, verse 1, who was slain lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And it is not known who killed him. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer, which has not been worked, which has not pulled a yoke, and the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown. So a very natural environment Uh, has been undisturbed, basically, by their occupation of the land. Uh, The urban sprawl hasn't got there yet. Nobody has built a home looking over the valley so it's undisturbed and they were there to break the neck of the heifer there in the valley and then the priests and the Levites shall come near for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord by their word every controversy and every assault shall be settled And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So in this passage, we have an unsolved murder. And obviously somebody killed this person, but nobody's confessing. And it was important for them to put away the guilt of this bloodshed, from among them, and so they did this by measuring out, and maybe they didn't technically have to measure, but they could stand and look around and say, well, Lake Villa over there is the closest city, so let's go over to Lake Villa and get the elders from Lake Villa. We'll find this valley that has running water. The running water was important as well, as they broke the neck of the heifer as they wash their hands over the neck of the heifer. In a sense, you get this picture of their sins being washed away. They were innocent, but God uh, required the blood to be atoned for. And so uh, if you recall, when Cain killed Abel, God said to Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. And so God required that the murder of this person be atoned for, otherwise it would be a stain against the whole land of Israel. And so this was a way that they were to have atonement for a death that took place that obviously everyone but the murderer um, was innocent about, and you would have to trust that God would judge, ultimately judge the one that took the life of this person. But they had to take an unworked, unyoked heifer, go in a valley, an unworked valley as well, a natural uh, setting, water flowing, break the neck of the heifer, wash their hands while the priests and the Levites gather together to judge over the process because... By their word, every controversy, every assault shall be settled. So if a matter arises, Deuteronomy 17:8, which is too hard for you to judge. And this was Moses talking to the elders of all the cities. And so let's just say there was, for an example, a matter that was too difficult to resolve here at the Lake County Courthouse. Well, we have steps that we take in our nation today, and you can take it to uh, the Supreme Court of Illinois. You can take it to the Supreme Court of the United States. They were to take it to the priest. They were to go where the tabernacle or the temple was set. And it said... In Deuteronomy 17.8, if a matter arises too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between the judgment or one or another, between one punishment or another, it didn't really matter what, if you couldn't solve it amongst yourself in your own community, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So go to the tabernacle, go to the temple, go to the priest. And here specifically it names the priest and the Levites. For by their word, every controversy, every assault shall be settled. And then with the priest, the elders of the city, washing their hands over the broken neck of this heifer, declaring their innocence by saying they had not shed the blood and asking the Lord to provide atonement And if they were faithful to these steps, then atonement would be provided for the people and the land. And that blood would be atoned for. So the blood crying out, it reminded me not only of Abel's blood but also of the tribulation saints who cried out to the Lord in Revelation 6.10, asking, how long, O Lord, true and holy, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Even in our society today, where even in the news today, we were this evening, I'm, I'm glad that I don't watch news all the time, it would drive me crazy. I was texting um, with my son last night, and uh, you know, everybody who carries a cell phone got an alert today. And uh, there were a lot of conspiracy theories about this alert and what the government was doing. My son was mentioning a few of those, and I said, Well, we've been getting these for seven years through our radio station. I have three forms. Every year they skipped a year or two with COVID. They didn't do it last year at all. Um, But I still had to fill out a form for them. And uh, they've been doing these alerts, but now it's finally coming to the cell phone. And. He was just saying, Yeah, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And I said, You know what? I have to do sometimes when I get overwhelmed with all this stuff, I just shut it off. I listen to a, a sermon by Pastor Chuck. Often I'll just, What am I going to be teaching on? I'll, I'll hear what Chuck has to say. I might be driving, I might be doing something else, but um, I'll just listen to Chuck. I need to get into the word and get away from the news. And, uh, I think sometimes we need to do that just to kind of shut down. This world is crazy and people are are killing and there's unresolved murders and God will one day bring justice and will avenge the blood of those who have been unjustly killed upon this earth. But the flowing of water reminded me also of Pilate. Did it remind you of that? When he had water poured over his hands in Matthew 27, 24 and 25 and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it and all the people cried out and said, his blood, speaking of Jesus, his blood be upon us and our children. So Pilate was saying, I'm going to wash away this blood guilt. He couldn't. In fact, they believe within 10 years of this time, although it's not Pilate's an interesting person. Initially, historians said the Bible made him up. We can't find him in history. And then in uh, in the 1960s, they unearthed a stone that had his name on it, and they couldn't say that they made him up anymore because the stone is there in Jerusalem with his name on it. But tradition says within 10 years, he took his own life. He said he was innocent of this just person's blood, but I don't think He was truly innocent, nor the children of Israel who said, let his blood be upon us after Jesus died. And when the apostles were preaching in the book of Acts chapter five, and they warned the apostles there before the council and said, did we not strictly command you to not teach in this name? So 528, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with you. Your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. It's the same people who said, Let his blood be on us, and then a little bit later they're preaching Jesus. They say, You're trying to put this man's blood on us? And they're the ones that said, Let it be on us. Let it be on our children. But think about those words. Let it be on us. Let it be on our children. Apart from the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives, none can be saved. It's according to the law. Almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, according to Hebrews 22. So spiritually, yes, let his blood be upon us. Let it cover our sins that we might be saved. Well, he goes immediately and just shifting topics. Now talks about war brides. Not the type of war brides like Mrs. Colombo who used to attend our church several years ago and now is with the Lord. She was a war bride. Her American husband met her while he was over in Europe and brought the little English lady back home with him and a wonderful woman of God that we had the privilege of worshiping with for so many years. But here, it's war brides, yes, but they're captives. And when you go out to war against your enemies, verses 10 through 14, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her, that you would take her for yourself and then you shall bring her to your house. You shall shave her head, trim her nails. She gets a manicure. (laughs) I just thought of that, but... You don't see guys trimming nails too often, especially warrior guys like this, I guess. Maybe today you see a lot of guys trimming nails, um, but I digress. Verse 13, you shall put off the clothes of her captivity. And so the clothes of her culture and the fact that she um, was a captive, now you Bring her into your home. You allow her, verse 13, to remain in your house to mourn for her father and mother a full month that you may go in to her and be her husband and she shall be your wife. So she's a war bride. They had to go through this process of this cleansing and mourning for a month before they were married. In verse 14, it shall be If you have no delight in her, you change your mind. That's a horrible thing to do. But then you shall not. Then you shall set her free. You certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall treat her. You shall not treat her brutally, harshly, because you have humbled her. So um, this puts a whole new spin. I know on a war bride, but customarily they would just take the women. There was no one-month, 30-day waiting period. Uh, The warriors of those days. But Israel was not like to be like the other nations. If they saw someone, this is not the women of the promised land proper because the nations of the promised land proper were to be judged by God. They were not to be allowed to live. This is those who are outside of the nation of what would become Israel but those seven nations the Canaanites the Amorites and they were never to be part of the nation of Israel so this is a captive from another nation we'll look at different nations that were allowed and those who are not allowed um, coming up but they would take a full month so even had we could say he had a whole month to think about what he was doing and still If he changed his mind he couldn't sell her he couldn't treat her badly but instead he had to set her free we next move on uh, just moving from point to point what happens if you have two wives I wouldn't suggest it but if a man has two wives but he loves one more than the other but the one that he loves least is the first one to give him a firstborn son. And that was a big deal in Israel, the firstborn son. So verses 15 through 17, if a man has two wives, one loved and one the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day that he gives his possession to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved wife the true firstborn he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has and he shall be he is the beginning of his strength the right of the firstborn is his and so he has two wives not a wise thing as I had said but he really loves one of the wives but the other wife gave him his firstborn son and there's no greater example than this than Jacob Leah and Rachel now it, Jacob was tricked by his father-in-law and uh, he thought because of the veiling of the bride he thought he had married Rachel he didn't know until the next morning that it was Rachel's older sister. And for both these women, he worked 14 years as a dowry to give to their father Laban. But there was this love hate triangle between them. Jacob loved Rachel and he loved Leah less. But Leah, uh, she quickly, not quickly, it takes time, of course, but she had four. Sons while Rachel was a, unable to get pregnant during that time, and so her firstborn son, Reuben, and then Simeon, and Levi, and finally Judah. So I'm, I'm just kind of rambling through the notes here. Remember, this is the chapter I wasn't planning on teaching today, but uh. Reuben, his firstborn son, at the blessing, he lost his birthright because he had done an unthinkable thing by taking one of his father's wives. Simeon and Levi, his second and thirdborn sons, they took their swords. They killed all the males of Shechem because of the cruel thing that the son of Shechem did to their sister. But they were called by Jacob instruments of cruelty and said that they would be scattered throughout Israel and prophetically that is what has happened with them they were scattered throughout Israel but it was Judah the fourth born son that received that birthright in the sense that he became the line of the promised Messiah in Genesis 29 35 when she gave birth, Leah gave birth and had the son. She said, "Now I will praise the Lord. I shall call his name Judah." So Judah's name means "praise." And when Jacob blessed Judah in Genesis 49:8, he said, "Judah, you are whom your brothers shall praise." Your hands shall be upon the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, verse 10, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. This is a messianic prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing, though Jacob loved Rachel rachel died as they made their way back to the promised land while giving birth to benjamin and she was buried where she died but when leah and jacob died they were buried in the tomb where abraham and sarah isaac and rebecca jacob and leah though he loved leah less Uh, he was laid to rest next to Leah who gave birth and part of the lineage of Christ came through those two uh, through Judah so very interesting so if you have a rebellious son what to do well 18 through 21 this is how they would handle it if you have a man and so there are some uh, things he's a man remember manhood to them was at 13 years old when they were bar mitzvah but still considered an adult so bar mitzvah means that you stand before God and no longer is the father accountable for that boy so if a man is stubborn rebellious son and will not obey the voice of his father, the voice of his mother, and who they have chastened him. He does not take heed. Then his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So the glutton and drunkard kind of puts an age on him. Hopefully he wasn't a drunkard, an alcoholic, as a teenager. But, verse 21, Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall put away evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. If parents couldn't control their rebellious son, they had an option to give him over to the elders of the city, that he would be judged. If judged and found guilty, he would be put to death. So the sun is breaking, the fourth commandment exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the lord your god has given you this rebel is called a glutton he's called a drunkard so he wasn't a little boy i remember as i was reading this today of one of the pastors out in california that he was a prodigal he came back to the lord he's now working on his dad's church a woman come came in And was saying, you know, just crying and saying that we have a rebellious son. I don't know what to do with him. And uh, so he said, but you just need to kick him out. You need to kick him out and let him, let the Lord deal with him. And then she came back and she said, but he's only five years old. So not a little boy. So don't kick out a five-year-old. But I am... Gra- gratefully thankful that rebellious sons and daughters are lucky, first of all, that this is not practice any longer. One of the commentaries that I read said that nowhere in the Bible and nowhere outside of the Bible historically um, could they find anyone ever bringing a rebellious son and being stoned to death in the city. This may have never taken place, But it was an option there. But today, I'm thankful that through Christ, rebellious sons, rebellious daughters can be restored. Like the prodigal son, we'll be seeing uh, this account in a few weeks. Actually, I taught it not too long ago, so we may have to skip this. But I love this section of Scripture. In Luke 15, 32, It was right that we should be merry and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive, was lost, and is found So the key verses for me in chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, if a man is committed to sin that is deserving of death, and you put him to death, you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day. You shall not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is a curse of God. So I I slowed down on that because one of the commentators said that it wasn't the fact that he was hanged that made him a curse of God. It would be if they allowed his body to remain overnight that God would curse their land because of that. But both here and in Galatians, as we'll see in a moment, it clearly says he who is hanged is a curse of God. So um, that kind of goes against what that commentator was saying. But every Christian should have an understanding of these verses. If someone committed a sin that's deserving of death, he's executed by hanging that person on the tree. His body was not to remain overnight. He who is hanged is accursed by God. And with Jesus, we find in John 19:31. therefore, because it was the day of preparation, the bodies should not remain on the cross, on the Sabbath... The Jews asked Pilate that their legs would be broken, that they might be taken away. And we know that um, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took down the body of Jesus that day that he died. And that Pilate was even shocked that Jesus died so quickly they did not break his legs, but a spear was thrust into his side. But Paul took this passage from Deuteronomy And in Galatians 3.13, said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ becoming a curse for us. And again, Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So two verses that we should know. So in my old Bible here, I bought it in 1993, so it's been around for a while. And I don't even take this out of the church anymore. I have have a Bible that I use every day here in the church when I'm here, and it's not this Bible. And I have a Bible at home that I use every day. And this one just comes out on Wednesdays and Sundays now because it's getting old. But I have these not only underlined that section, but in parentheses as well. Um, key passage when we connect it to Galatians 3:13 and 2 Corinthians 5:21. So in chapter 22, Moses continues to list out several miscellaneous laws. I picked verse one. Um, really talking about don't shirk your responsibility in this world. And here in verse 1 it says, You see your brother's ox, his sheep going astray, and hide yourself from them. You, you shall certainly bring them back to your brother. So there are, in just doing what's right, especially early on in this passage, that which is lost or found or fallen... Uh, We have a responsibility. They were not to hide themselves, not to, oh man, look at their watch and think, man, I don't have time for this. They were to help, not hide themselves. And so we find, again, moving from topic to topic, it begins in verses 1 through 4, speaking about the lost, the found, or the fallen. And we begin in verse 1, it says, you shall see your brother's ox or a sheep going astray, So the animals roaming off and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. If your brother is not near, if you do not know him. So an animal roams into your property, you have no idea where it came from. Bring it to your barn, to your house. Let it remain. (laughs) Last year in the, I think it was in the spring, but the pastor up in Colesville and he's, he doesn't pastor at Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel's in his blood, so I'm friends with him. And I've spoken at his church before as well. Um, but they found a goat, wandered in their yard, and they had posted on social media, saying, anybody know whose goat's? And they had a pet goat for a while. I don't know if they ever got returned or they had goat stew later on that year. I'm not sure. What happened to the saga of the goat but they tried to make sure that it went back to its owner. So it can, it can happen. Colesville is out in the country. This is a little bit country, but it's going to be odd if it happens out here. So if you don't know, your brother's not near. You don't know who it is. Bring the animal back to your house. It shall remain with you until the brother seeks it. So the brother is speaking about somebody from, you know, they're Israeli they're coming they're looking then restore the animal to him verse 3 you shall do the same with his donkey and so you shall do with his garment anything lost of your brother's which he has lost and you have found you shall not you shall do likewise you must not hide yourself you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down along the road and hide yourself from them you shall surely help him lift them up again and so responsibility to help your neighbor Uh, several years ago our neighbor here on the church property uh, we have 10 acres they have 14 acres i believe but they had a couple of horses and uh, the horses would snake around the bottom end of the fence back toward both of the end of our properties and I would come out and I'd see one or both of the horses out here. I learned how to uh, manage the horses. I learned that if a horse doesn't want to be led, the grass was greener on Calvary Chapel side, I guess, because they like coming over here. Um, So it got to the point to where if they had a harness on, I would just pull my belt off and put it around. Uh, and lead the horse. I only had to lead the one horse. The other one would follow. But I would take them back. And I, I did that a few times. Uh, there was one time I didn't... They didn't have anything on that I could lead them. And I tried to push them. And it's like, all right, you're not going anywhere. I hope no car hits you. But I can't move you. You're too big. But you're not to hide from your responsibility. If you don't know who owns the animal... You bring it, take care of it. Today, put out lost and found posters, post on social media, whether an ox, sheep, or donkey, clothing, anything that you find that doesn't belong to you, do your best to get the animal or property back to its rightful owner. And if you see an animal that has fallen, you're to help the neighbor. Lend a helping hand. Even if it was an enemy, Exodus 23 4 and 5 says, If they go astray, bring him back to them. If the donkey of one who hates you is lying under a burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Even if he's an enemy, you got to help. In fact, through helping, you might not be enemies any longer. So we can't in this area really, um, you know, lost dogs, lost cats. But stranded motorists, I've helped, I've changed tires uh, for people before, but there's times where I've driven by and I thought, I don't have time. Hopefully somebody helps. Hopefully they have a cell phone. Um, So maybe I have been guilty of hiding myself. We all have to make those decisions. It's kind of the law of Leviticus nineteen eighteen: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So verse 5, just threw it in here. One verse. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on woman's garments, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. So the word abomination is So Ifa, it means an offense, and uh, it speaks about that which goes against ritual or moral order. And so (laughs) this is happening in our nation today. You know, it was a lot easier when I grew up, and Lily grew up, Marvin especially, uh, Mike back there. I mean, even I have a sweatshirt. That is a Calvary Chapel sweatshirt. They shouldn't have done this, but the zipper pull is on the wrong side. And you might be thinking, "What do you mean it's on the wrong side?" It's on the girl's side when you hook it up. And you you might be thinking, "I didn't know there was a girl side and there was a guy side." Well, there was. There used to be guy's shirts buttoned and crossover this way, girl shirts buttoned and crossover. This way, guys. When I was a boy, part of their I still do. Part of their hair on the left side, not on the right side. Um, boys liked blue, girls liked pink, and there's a blurring of all these things today. But we didn't. I, I you know, it's partly having clear examples of two sexes. Two, I put that in all caps in my notes, two, I even put it again, Uh, two sexes. They try to say gender. Gender doesn't speak about male or female. And so they're kind of twisting um, the meaning of a word for that. But two sexes. So I'm especially concerned that many young boys and girls, as well as teenagers today, they're not having godly role examples of women or men. These lines are being so blurred that they do not really understand what it means to be a godly man or to be a godly woman. They have no such examples um, tomorrow, and I'll probably mention this if I have time tomorrow. I'm supposed to be recording with David Fiorazzo talking about the Masonic Lodge. I mentioned this on Sunday. But this is really stood out to me. It's so important that uh, a lot of young guys, I and mean, we think of the Masonic Lodge, it's been around since the 1700s. Over in England, the first lodge was there. In England, the Grand Master's Lodge was basically a trade guild, a union, that kind of went weird. Um, but it was for bricklayers and their laborers. And this lodge was, if... A bricklayer or laborer was killed or wounded and couldn't work. If they're killed, they can't work at all. But if they are wounded and couldn't work, and or their family could be cared for by the lodge. But once all that kind of the work went away, they weren't be- building cathedrals. These lodges became what they are today. Uh, the secret society in all parts of our world But young men are still joining, and I think they're joining because they want to understand defined role models. They want this, Um, those who are joining such things. They seem to have a desire to learn what it means to be a man. They learn at the Masonic Lodge they're learning bad things. The church should be doing this, not some occults. So he moves on, and we have birds, parapets, seeds, plowing, and clothing. So topic to topic, the birds and their young. Verses 6 through 7, if a bird, uh, you happen upon a bird's nest, and it's whether in a tree or on the ground, and there's young ones or eggs, and its mother's sitting with the young or the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go. Take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days. Just that, I underline that. It will be good for you, you'll prolong your days. So if you're hungry for breakfast one day, and you're out and I'm wondering what I can find, and you happen upon a chicken and the eggs, you're not to have fried chicken and scrambled eggs for breakfast. You could only have scrambled eggs. The mother hen had to be let go because mama can lay more eggs, have more babies. But if you kill both the mama and the eggs or the baby chicks, then you end that line. And so God said that it would be well with you. And so we're to care for the animals. Uh, Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal as but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. We're not to be like the world. We're to regard, I mean, we're to eat meat. We're to be meat eaters, not bug eaters. But uh, we're to be responsible meat eaters. And this was a responsible meat eater. Flat roofs and parapets. Verse 8, you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet on your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it so Israel to this day they have a lot of flat roofs flat roofs are even popular in the big cities here in the United States and now they're designing these areas up there that people can kind of get away have grass on the roof little trees up there and just a place to get away remember The Apostle Peter, when he was waiting for lunch to be prepared, and he had that vision come from the Lord, uh, he was on the roof of the house. But who knew that the Bible had building codes? If you have a house with a flat roof, you had to take and build a parapet around it In case someone fell and died, I mean, if you have the parapet and they still fell over, at least you tried. You wouldn't bring blood guilt upon your house. Seed and plowing, 9 through 11. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. It wouldn't work that well, anyways. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Now, our culture does a lot of this stuff all the time. They're in the day and age of GMO and seed modifying and uh, material. I bet, I'm sure this is not 100% cotton. Uh, Rarely are clothes 100% of one type of material or another. But Israel was not to blend or mix these things. They were to be off limits for them. It was to be forfeited. Some said that this meant that it was given over to the temple, forfeited in that sense, or it was considered, uh, the word means set apart. It was set apart. So whether it was set apart to God, it was kind of a hands-off for them. These verses were commands not to mix different kinds of seed, animals, thread, to make interwoven material. In this day of age, we're doing all of these things. And yet Israel was to practice purity in the sense, I think, what we're getting out of all this, uh, a boy isn't supposed to wear girls' clothes, a girl isn't supposed to wear boys' clothes. Um, They're not to mix seeds. They're not to... um, do all these things not the seeds not the clothing not the fruits not the animals it was just to be practiced in everything that they did they understood by even the things that they did that would teach them how they should be as people themselves we don't mix our clothing we don't mix our seed we don't mix sexes in that sense of um, perverting the sexes. And so, in the Bible, it has this spiritual implication in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? So we are not to be unequally yoked. We are to walk as the people of God in this world that we live in. In verse 12, it talks about making tassels for the four corners of their clothing with which they cover themselves with. So the robes were to have blue tassels at the four corners. And uh, this is explained to us in Numbers 15, 37 through 39. And these were to be reminders. When they looked upon the tassels... They were to remember the commandments of the Lord and to do them. So they were to sew the blue tassels on the corner of their garments as a reminder to keep God's law. We don't have to sew things on our clothing. Maybe we wear T-shirts that are Christian themed, but we can, I think, like Psalm 119.11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We can have those reminders in our lives. So he closes out the chapter speaking about sexual morals, 13 through 30, dealing with just a bunch of different stuff. And uh, he deals with women who are betrothed to a man. It's kind of like our engagement today, but not quite. And uh, whether she's betrothed or not betrothed, that's an issue in here. And whether she's a virgin or not a virgin, it's an issue in here. But I'll just read through the scripture. This was the longest, 13 through 21. If a man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her, so he marries a woman and he decides, I don't like her, I don't want to be married to her. He charges her with a shameful conduct, brings a bad name on her. And he said, I took this woman when I first came to her and found that she was not a virgin. Then the father and mother... No young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the woman's virginity to the elders of the city. The young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife. He detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct. And I found your daughter was not a virgin, he said, the man. And yet here's the evidence that my daughter was a virgin and they shall spread out the cloth before the elders of the city, and the elders of the city shall take the man that and punish him. So if he's found to be a liar, the man is punished. They shall find him 100 shekels of silver, give the silver to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name on her, and she shall be his wife and cannot divorce her all his days he cannot divorce her so this is i mean this would make you think about this you don't like her and now you're stuck with her all the days of your life so this probably didn't come up too often verses 20 and 21 but if the thing is true the evidence It's true, the young woman is found not to be a virgin. They shall bring out the young woman to the door of the father's house. The men of the city shall stone her to death because she has done a disgraceful thing to Israel, played the harlot in the father's house. So you shall put away evil from among yourself. So still dealing with the issue of purity in the land, that was the driving force behind this all. It was a public trial. If found guilty, the woman was put to death. If found guilty, the man was punished, had to pay up a 100 shekels of silver. They both lived, but they could never divorce. In the case of adultery, one verse, verse 22, if a man was lying with a woman married to a, a husband, and they both of them shall die, the man laid with the woman, the woman, you shall put them both away, the evil from Israel. And so this is the case that they brought to Jesus in John 8, verses 4 and 5. Teacher, we found this woman caught in adultery in the very act. What does the law say we should do? The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. But what do you say? But they only brought the woman. And here we find they only brought half of what the law said. Both the man and the woman, should be. they should have brought both these, this couple was found, but they only brought the one. as we know, Jesus said to that crowd of accusers, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away from the situation. So these are very harsh punishments that were not always carried out. David and Bathsheba are an example of this exactly. And Bathsheba and David were not put to death though God did judge David for this sin in his life. In the case of rape, verses 23 through 29, when a man takes a woman against her own will, and here it kind of deals with, it's broken down in sections, so whether the virgin was betrothed whether she was in the country, in the city, or uh, if she was not betrothed. And then the last one is dealing with incest. So we'll get into the first one. If betrothed, but in the city, a young woman who is taken by a man against her will, and she's in the city, the idea in verses 23 and 24 is, is that she could cry out for help and if no one heard her cry and this case came before the city then they were both to be deemed guilty and both would be put to death very hard situation but in the country even if she did cry out verses 25 through 27 she's in the country no one could hear her cries so then the man would be put to death but the girl would be set free but if the virgin was not betrothed so she was not betrothed to another man was not engaged to another man we would say today although betrothal and engagement aren't exactly identical you can break an engagement today but it's not a contract it's just kind of a word that a couple has between each other betrothal was a contract. It was a marriage contract that had not yet been consummated. So this virgin who has not been betrothed is seized by a man, and this is discovered. Then the man had to give the young woman's father 50 shekels, and she would become his wife, and he could not divorce her all the days of his life. So... Um, Once again, he was stuck with her. You better think twice about what you're doing. Finally, verse 30, a man shall not take his father's wife or uncover his father's bed. Uh, As I said, Reuben did this. That's why he lost his firstborn uh, status with Jacob. But there's no punishment named here But we do find in Leviticus 2011 that it did carry a death penalty for both the man and the woman in Leviticus 2011. So bottom line, the children of Israel were to hold the high standards of God's law. And today as believers, we are to live in such a way that brings glory to the Lord. We're not to be like the rest of the world. We're to be um, cut from a different cloth Walk into different lights. Walk in faith. So I was curious about the 100 shekels of silver and the 50 shekels of sil- silver. Here's another thing. I was just putting today's value on this. I, you can find anything online, and there was a, a Bible Day evaluator, and you could put in what metals you wanted, what type of coinage you had. And so 100 shekels of silver would be around $17,400 that they would have to cough up and or the 50 shekels $8,700. So it came at a high cost. Not only did they have to marry the woman and be with her all the days of his life, he could never divorce her till death alone parts you. He had to uh, give a I don't know. For us, you know, seventeen thousand could be a half a year's salary for some people, or at least a third of a year's salary, so pretty pricey to walk against the commandments of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. A lot that we went through tonight, and uh one or two tremendous verses there at the end of chapter twenty one. We're referencing that he who dies on the tree is the curse of God. And we go over to Galatians and we find, Lord, that these verses are rightly applied, Jesus, to your crucifixion and the price that you paid for our sins upon the cross. So even way back in the Old Testament, Lord, preparing the things that would be fulfilled through Christ himself at his first coming. And because of that, Lord, we have opportunity for salvation, and we thank you for that. Bless us this night, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.